On today's episode with Deep Dive with Dave and Josh, we discussed everyone's favorite Cape Crusader. Seven of Deep Dive with Dave and Josh. I'm Josh. I'm Dave. All right, Dave. Uh, so we decided to talk about our favorite superhero this week because he's been in the news lately. That's right. Um, so we found out last week that there's going to be a, a Blu-ray edition of the Batman animated series coming out. It's currently on DVD, but they're doing a remastered Blu-ray collection for the first time. There's only 30,000 copies. So we both thought that was really interesting. Yep. And there's uh, also been uh, some confirmation on a Joker origin film. You know, not strictly Batman, but could lead to something interesting for a Batman movie down the road. Well, it's still in the universe, so it's uh, still Batman-related. Right. So just kind of right off the bat, you know, there's a, a lot of people that played the Joker. You know, you have uh, Jack Nicholson, you have Heath Ledger, Jared Leto. And who was the original on the TV show? Uh, Caesar... Romano. Of course, Mark Hamill played the animated Joker for many years. Right, he was the voice of the Joker, the animated series. Right, and the uh, Batman Arkham trilogy of video games. Correct. So, just right off the bat, who's your favorite Joker out of those four? Cesar Romano's got to be my favorite Joker that, I, that there is, because he seemed to encapsulate pretty much what was in the comics. And he was the most animated, in my opinion, even more so than Jack Nicholson was in the original Batman movie. That's an interesting pick. I, a, I think that a lot of people haven't seen it, even people that would call themselves uh, big Batman fans or uh, big fans of the Joker, because it's a um, much older reference you know, from the, I guess, from the 60s sure. uh, with the TV show. And uh, there is even a, a full length Batman movie uh, with uh, Adam West and those other characters. That's called Batman 66, or is that affectionately known as Batman 66? I think it's just affectionately known as Batman 66. Okay, it's just called like the Batman movie then. Right. Okay. Uh, so for me, I grew up primarily with uh, Jack Nicholson, Batman '89. Well, yes. I guess that, yeah, the Tim I guess that's trilogy. I guess that's how people refer to that now. Right. It, it's hard to say because I'm such a big fan of uh, Heath Ledger's performance in The Dark Knight, and I've seen that movie so many times over the last ten years. Sure. I've probably seen it ten or fifteen times, which is a lot. So when I think about the Joker, I think about that performance. But really, to me, when I think about the best overall encapsulation of the character, I'll really go with the animated version because it's the closest to what you see in the comics. Um, it's got the the nuances of the character down and you get to spend more time with the voice of Mark Hamill playing the character. Well, sure. It seems like Mark Hamill really gets into the mind of the Joker and, and what he's about. I mean, you can really stretch a character to make it seem alive, even through different types of way you pitch your voice or the way you just kind of come across. And I think Mark Hamill did a really, really good job of being able to portray him as the Joker. Right. I think that that character is supposed to be psychotic and funny. And I think the other actors that have portrayed the character have done a pretty good job of that. But if you look at the, I guess, the theatrical performances, they're so violent at times. That it, it's hard to come across as funny uh, when you're shoving a guy's forehead into a pencil or uh, lighting a, a mound of money on fire. So there are some mildly funny moments in those performances, but 
Yeah, the Joker really was supposed to be a psychotically funny character. No, just to stop you there. I mean, the examples that we just used, say, talking about the Joker, were primarily the Heath Ledger version of the Joker. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was too much of a Joker or too psychotic of a, of a Joker? No, I think that he fit Nolan's vision for what that world was, that kind of grounded and political and serious type of uh, type of world that they were building there. And uh, it's interesting because uh, I feel bad for Jared Leto because I, I think he uh, wasn't given a fair shake to put his stamp on that character. Not on that movie, no. For the no. Suicide Squad, Zack <clears throat> Snyder version of, of the Joker. I agree. Right. You know, the, the way that movie was edited, you never really got a chance to see him play the character. You just got to see him kind of like these temple moments, like dropping into a ridiculously large uh, bat of acid and right. um, acting like a, a chromed out thug. Yeah, he just kind of looked like a weirdo. He didn't like the Joker. Well, it's because he had to to play backseat to all the other characters, too, that they were trying to get across in that movie at the same time. I would say that is probably my most disappointing movie of the decade. That that is the most disappointing movie to me. It's got so much potential. Sure. uh, A lot of great actors. You know, it's like you they pay too much deference to Will Smith, you know, trying to make a, a very fringe character you're popular and he played deadshot yeah it's just hard to remember uh, anything other than harley quinn right Uh, batman is kind of one of those i I think he is probably the most popular superhero wouldn't you say absolutely i mean he's the he's the everman's man and then he's also the the superhero that everybody feels like they can become because he doesn't have supernatural powers he has the ability to create his own supernatural powers and I think that in the last 10 years, you know, that's when the movie, the superhero movies have really exploded. He's the only one that really existed on his own uh, and really lasted. Sure, Iron Man had a couple movies, uh, but he was still part of this bigger world that they were building. Right, with MCU. In the Dark Knight films, there were no other superheroes. Right. And you can see now that Superman needed Batman you know, to survive as a character. Uh, in the the newest uh, DC movies, so I think that that's kind of the special thing about Batman is that he he can exist on his own. Uh, his villains are like the Joker is probably more popular than most of the superheroes, so that's probably an interesting uh, or a really unique dynamic that he has that other superheroes don't. You know, even Spider Man, uh, who I would say is the second or third most important superhero, he doesn't even have. A, really I- iconic villains, I would say. I would say probably the Green Goblin would be one, or uh, Dr. Octopus that would be two, or, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard. Venom would probably be the the third one that I would be able That's a good point. Venom. Venom is probably the probably in the top five of the villains. Um, and X-Men, X-Men is such a team, such a team concept and a team film, um, other than the, the awesome movie Logan. Is that the one you've seen? I haven't seen Logan yet, but I've heard great reviews about it. So as far as uh, the Batman movies go, I think Batman 89 is universally revered. And I think other than you, most people I know really like The Dark Knight. That's best. correct. Yes. And you, know, you and I have had that discussion several times. So just briefly, why do you think that um, The Dark Knight Rises is better than The Dark Knight? I would say it's because Bane is a better villain than the Joker would ever want to be. I feel like he's more fleshed out as a character that he has something more sinister to offer versus just some psycho that's going around blowing up things. Uh, He is actually somebody that has a purpose to go around to want to cause harm versus somebody who's just wanting to cause harm for his own good. Well, I understand that. So let's just say we we take it out of those movies. Do you think Bane is a better character overall than the Joker? Absolutely. Okay. So that's where 
your argument comes in. I think a lot of people would disagree with it, but it's a different argument. It's unique. Between The Dark Knight Rises and The Dark Knight, and again, the, the other downfalls that The Dark Knight has is that it's a better detective movie than it is a superhero movie, mm-hmm. and it's about 30 minutes too long. Other than um, Batman Begins, all three, uh, all the movies are a little too long. They do stretch out a little bit, but that's every um, Christopher Nolan film, though. Agreed. So even if you're just starting from scratch and somebody said, I have a Batman comic book that focuses on the Joker or I have one that focuses on Bane, you would take Bane. Bane isn't portrayed the same way as he is in the comics as he is in the Nolan films, though. Right, but I'm saying if you take that character, take these characters outside of the Nolan universe. See, the the problem with the Joker is that he doesn't have a defined backstory uh, the way that Bane does. Uh, even outside of the Nolan universe, uh, Bane has the backstory of basically being filled like, like this crazy juice. I forget. What. Right, he was in Batman and Robin whenever it was. Right, you know, he was just a, a small second character who pretty much showed up to try to beat up yeah. Batman for like um, thirty seconds. Or even in the comics and the video games, he's filled with like kind of like a steroid like like substance. Right, in Nolan's films, I felt like he gave him actually a story, some some sort of reason to be. And I liked his right. character and his portrayal better. If we're just talking about strictly the movies. Now, if we're talking mm-hmm. about the comic books, then we have to talk about the Joker being better. Because mm-hmm. Bane doesn't have that type of personality. He doesn't have that type of story behind him. So, yeah. In those movies, the Joker doesn't really have a backstory other than you know, he's just a crazy person who wants to create chaos. If we're talking about the Nolan films, yes. Yeah. If we're talking about the original films, then he actually does have a story. He's a gangster. Right. Right. But that was written specifically to give... Jack Nicholson his his role for what right. he's gonna do, and you know that's one of the only the, the one of the only versions where you even you have a name Jack Napier uh, that killed Bruce Wayne's parents. In any other story, it's a kind of Joe Chill was the guy that uh, killed Batman's parents. Well, he even thought that it was somebody else in Batman Forever, didn't he? He thought it was Two Face that that killed him. Or... No, it, it, no, because that was it, Harvey it, it was the continuity of it, there's there's been a lot that's been kind of stretched in the canon. Yeah, well, uh, the first four movies all had the same continuity. Uh, different types of settings, but they're all part of the same universe. Because you had the same Alfred character, and you had the same commissioner. At some point in uh, the fourth movie, Batman and Robin, you get a shot inside Arkham Asylum, and you see the costumes of Two-Face and the Riddler from the previous film. So even though you have all these different settings and characters and actors even to play Batman you still have the continuity from the from the other movies okay so which is weird and it's that's hard to pull off but um, I could see what the the correlation with that would be because they were Schumacher films versus right being Burton films now if it was anything from the Burton films I didn't see anything for the penguin that was in Batman and Robin yeah I don't I don't think that they were so that continuity didn't exist it's only because it was a Schumacher film from well Forever I wonder Batman and Robin. I wonder if there were any uh, well, some of the actors were the same, so I guess that's where the continuity comes in. That's a good question if they're supposed to be together or not. I think an interesting question, uh, let's say that who's a director that a lot of people like. Let's say Joss Whedon signed on to do three Batman movies. And uh, let's say our pick to play Batman, John Hamm, signed on to play Batman. And he did the first two and didn't, didn't want to do the third one. A, he would never work in Hollywood again. That's right. If he didn't do it. But let's sure. just say for some reason he couldn't do it. Do you think they would even do that today? I don't think they could do that today. So you think they would just scrap the whole thing? I think in this day and age they would because because we, we put too much on comic book films. Mm-hmm. And the fan base would, wouldn't allow for that to happen. And the way we consume media is different. 
Absolutely. in the way that we interpret media is different than right. it was 20 years ago. Right. That's why in 1995 you could have Val Kimmer playing the Batman versus Michael Keaton because people didn't put as much weight into it as they do today. I mean, I'd love to go back and find out why uh, Michael Keaton didn't keep going. I know why... Uh, did I say Michael Keaton? Michael Keaton's correct. Yeah, Michael Keaton didn't keep going because uh, um, Tim Burton wasn't attached. No, Tim Burton still was attached. He was a producer. He wasn't a director. Right, he wasn't a director. Right. Um, so if he was a director, he might have kept doing the movies. Maybe. Either that or Multiplicity probably wouldn't have taken but, um, off. But why didn't uh, Val Kilmer keep going? Val Kilmer probably had other things to do. In, in, uh, in 1997? Uh, well, he had uh, the Alan Dr. Moran at the time. Well, it's confusing to me that he wouldn't have been part of a two-picture deal, or maybe they weren't sure they were going to give Joel Schumacher two movies. That's true, too. Yeah. I mean, you look look how disjointed the Batman and Robin is versus all the other movies. seems more like a kid's film versus the the grittiness of of the Burton films. Even some of the stuff that's in Batman Forever, it seems much more lighthearted, and there's more levity to it. Well, to me, Batman Forever is the most underrated of the Batman movies. How do you say it's underrated? It was pretty heavily promoted and... And it was everywhere. Uh, it was even the first movie that I ever saw in surround sound. But I would say that if you, the general consensus today lumps the Joe Schumacher movies together, that they weren't good movies because he was involved, basically. So I think the way a lot of people would rank the movies is that they would probably go Dark Knight, Batman 89, Batman Begins, Batman Returns, uh, Dark Knight Rises, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. I could see that. Did I get all of them? I think that's, you reached all of them. But I think Batman Forever, I personally, I've, I've probably seen Batman Forever more than I've seen Batman Return. I think it's a, it hit at the right time yeah. for you to be able to watch it. Yeah, I, I think it's more rewatchable uh, than the, uh, doesn't mean it's better, but no. it's, but I think it, it doesn't get enough credit. I think Val Kilmer was a much better Batman and Bruce Wayne than people gave him credit for. I agree with that. He's much better than George Clooney ever was in Batman and Robin. Oh, well, yeah. And I think he made a better Bruce Wayne than Christian Bale. Uh, absolutely. 100%. Um, and I like Christian Bale a lot. But, you know, looking back, that kind of brooding thing gets a little old. It does. And I think that it would be really interesting if uh, Heath Ledger hadn't had such a great performance as a Joker, um, how that series would have been remembered. So do you think that the Dark Knight wouldn't be as great as as much on a pedestal as we put it if Heath Ledger's 38 minutes of fame wasn't as great as we thought it you know if he wasn't part of the project it wouldn't be what it is now I yeah that's what I'm saying because I think that uh, for better and for worse uh, his performance overshadowed that movie and overshadowed that series and uh, from what I remember and if you think about the ending of the Dark Knight there was an opportunity to bring the Joker back for another movie because if you bring the Joker in, it doesn't really make sense to have him in just one movie. Because in the canon, he never goes away. Right. You know, he's never killed. He's never in Arkham Asylum long enough. I think it's just an interesting exercise to think about what those movies would have been like. Right. And, and the whole thing that happened with Heath Ledger, too, is that, I mean, we had the rise of the internet MySpace realm, too. And, and all these alternative kids kind of clinged on to what Heath Ledger's character was. And in the the wanting and being of advertising of the Joker, mm-hmm. it, everything was a perfect storm for that to become a success as big as it was. And uh, for someone like me that really enjoys kind of learning about the technical aspects of how the movies are made, I, I think about that movie as kind of the one of the first movies um, or you know mainstream movies to uh, embrace IMAX technology and to. Uh, make it important to go to the theater. Oh, that was beautiful. Whenever they they would cut between the regular film to the IMAX film. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the scenes, especially like with the hospital exploding and everything. 
amazing, beautiful. In uh, in the jump uh, from the building in Hong Kong. Oh yeah, even um, on the Blu-ray releases, whenever they do that, it's just yeah. spectacular. I have a fond place uh, in my heart for that movie because I got two movies when I got my first Blu-ray player. Um, I got that movie and I got Wanted. Nice. And I just couldn't believe how beautiful the DVD looked. Now we we, we take it for granted today, you know, ten years later. Uh, but in 2018, I'm sorry, 2008, 2009, whenever I got, I got the DVD, it was just a... High definition was, was massive, pretty mind-blowing. Massive, massive deal. It was. Um, even the first scene where they break out the window and uh, zip line to the other building. Mm-hmm. So, moving on to uh, the animated series. Uh, I think this is kind of what we really want to talk about. Uh, because, you know, we talked about the, uh, the DVD coming out and what that series meant what does that series mean to you, just as a cartoons aficionado? What does that mean to you? It was the first important mainstream type superhero cartoon that had a meaning. It wasn't all about flash and flare, about trying to make you laugh, or about doing this. It had a purpose. It had a reason for you to want to care about the characters. It had a had a meaning behind it. Batman seemed genuine. The characters seemed genuine. The the villains seemed like that they were genuine. There was there were parts of it that were just wrenched your heart the parts where he would set with some of the the characters and talk the exposition between them the dialogue between them and and the voice character that that did batman himself was just amazing and in my mind that's that's actually who i hear as batman most of the time is that that character that voice actor from from the animated series more so than any of the other characters that play in the movies yeah that's amazing because you think about how many Hollywood elites have played that role and when I think about Batman I think about Kevin Conroy uh, because he did uh, the animated movies in the early years the animated series and the video games uh, and I think a movie that's also kind of left out in the cold is uh, the Batman Mask of the Phantasm great movie which is a part of the animated series it's an incredible incredible movie it was even theatrically released and it was just beautiful to watch and it was on VHS for a long time and I think if they finally released it on HD but it's an amazing Probably film. Probably watched it 20 times on it's, the It's on the so tape. overlooked by everybody that I ever talked to about it. It's, it's an amazing film. You know, there's uh, emotional stakes. Mm. Uh, there's, uh, you get a real backstory on really every character in the film. And it was just, uh, just perfect. You know, and I remember it so vividly. Uh, you know, the ending and you find out who the, the phantasm is. And uh, it's just a, a genuinely good story. There's a love story. There's, mm-hmm. uh, there's a story between the Joker and Batman. It's just, just a, perfect perfect movie it is let's uh let's uh let's go ahead and stray away from the movies too let's talk about the games because you seem to be have a little bit more background with playing the arkham games versus me because the only thing i've ever played in the Batman arkham series and actually enjoyed was blackgate which is a 2.5d metroidvania version of it which is kind of the black sheep of the host series but you you seem to gravitate toward being able to play the arkham games that were good by, by rocksteady before they were released I had the unfortunate pleasure of playing all the ones that were previously released, except for Batman and Robin that was on the Sega Genesis that was also done with the soundtrack by uh, uh, Jesper Kidd, which was fantastic, but that's for another Was that also on the podcast. Super Nintendo? It was, but it wasn't the same game. Uh, the one on the, the Sega Genesis was, was beautiful, along with the soundtrack that was it. Anyways, again, that's for another <laughs> podcast, but I'd, I'd like you to be able to uh, expand on the, uh, the game universe for me, because you seem to have a lot more experience with it, especially the original game. You seem to gravitate and latch on to it more, way more than I ever did, uh, concerned that you were the bigger Batman fan at the time. So can you tell me a little bit about them? Uh, tell me how they they kind of worked out, uh, what you thought about them, where the series went, especially with uh, changing hands with the Arkham City and then the Arkham Knight series and, and just kind of how that all worked out. Well, before I do that, uh, the first Batman game I remember playing was 
um, a Game Boy game based on Batman 89. Right. Do you remember that game? I do. Batman, it's made by Sunsoft, yeah. Yeah, Batman actually has like a tiny gun. Yep. And he's using that to dispatch his foes. And I remember it being a really difficult game. It was. It, it was not easy to play. It was Sunsoft difficult because you also had that game and you also had the Joker's Revenge too that came out at the same time. I don't know if you had the sequel to that. I don't think uh, I did. They also had NES counterparts that went with them. But I specifically remember, I guess, mid to late 90s, uh, sitting with you guys at dinner, uh, playing it on my uh, Game Boy Color. Absolutely. Uh, so just amazing, amazing time. And then I, it, it, it always, always had trouble remembering titles of things when I was younger. You also had Batman Forever on the Super Nintendo, which was uh, an interesting title because they they took the approach of making it more like a Mortal Kombat game, but with Batman characters. It had a stop motion animation, uh, rather live actors that they used. To be able to, uh, uh, to create this type claim. of made by claim in Midway, yeah. uh, and it just had a really unique control style. And I know that me and you try to play back and forth on it, and we use level skips on it to be able to go to it. So technically, that's the first game I ever beat. I would say, I, it, know, but with with, 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 with the level yeah. skips. Now, I've actually gone back and replayed it too, and it's not that bad of a game. It's just you have to look you just past have to, You just have to remember how to get through it. Right, and um, I, I particularly enjoyed the Batman Forever arcade game, which was made like an NBA Jam style type game. You had a oh, bunch of power and crazy things and you would be nuts and it was beat em up uh, and then there was the Batman Forever pinball machine that I that I probably pumped more quarters into than I'd, I'd like to admit during my elementary school was it a skating party no a skating party it was skating a chance party. skating rink oh yeah. wow That's so a... that I had a nice little orbiter that was around with it everybody knew where to find me at the skating rink yeah I never really enjoyed skating much but I liked uh Playing arcade games. That's, and, where, uh, that's where I was at, man. Playing air hockey. Yeah. But uh, you, you go ahead and tell me about the the Arkham games and, and what they, they kind of meant to you. Well, just a couple more things where I do that because I have all these like memories sure. no, please go ahead. back on, on, yeah. uh, on Batman games. Go for it. I remember playing the Batman and Robin game. And there used to be a little video store uh, over on Terry Road. Mm-hmm. I forget, was it maybe Video Vault? There was Video Vault on Terrier Road that was over there by where the Kroger is. And there was Roadrunner uh, Video 2 that was also on Dixie Highway. Was it Video Vault that was, because uh, there used to be a, a Long John Silver's. A Long John yeah. Silver's on the corner where the Chinese place is now, and then there was a Video yeah. Vault on the corner. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So I guess it was Video Vault. So yep. I remember renting that game there several times. And back then it never occurred to me to ask for games. No. Yeah, I, j- I just wanted to, to rent them when I could. So I remember trying to play that, you know, time and time again and just remember how solid the gameplay actually was. I think one of the games that was really, you know, never got the respect it deserved was there was a, a, a licensed Batman Begins video game. Batman Begins, oh, that was on the Xbox, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I never played it. It was one. actually really solid. Yeah. Um, it was a little cheap at times and you could tell it, it didn't have the highest level of care, uh, but it was one of the better licensed games I remember from that era. Well, it was probably written off because it was a licensed game. Yeah. Most people. Expect- it, it wasn't as good as the uh, licensed uh, Spider-Man games. Oh, no. You know, no those, those, were, those were excellent. Those, those were, were solid games. Yeah. I just, I, I can't explain how important those Arkham games were to me uh, because they were really were a continuation of the animated series to me uh, because you had the Kevin Conroy voicing Batman and Mark Hamill as the Joker and you got to really walk around in this world uh, in the first game it was Arkham Asylum you know it's a, a more confined space but you know still plenty to do and I think it was a great test run for the studio uh, Rocksteady because the next game Arkham City to me, is probably the best licensed game ever made. Now, in a few weeks, the new Spider-Man video game on PS4 comes out, and from what I'm reading, it could challenge that throne. That's correct. But you had this uh, amazing story 
uh, involving Batman and the Joker. Uh, you had this amazing sense of freedom where you could traverse around the city. Uh, the only thing missing uh, was a Batmobile, and you actually end up with that in Arkham Knight, which to me was the weakest of the Rocksteady trilogy. Now, was that an actual Rocksteady game, or had Warner Brothers taken over and created the sequel on their own? That was a Rocksteady game. That was a Rocksteady game. Okay. Now, in between, there was a, um, a Arkham prequel that just it just felt different. I, I played it. Uh, it was Arkham Origins. Origins, that's yeah. right. Yeah, Origins came out the same time as Blackgate, which is the, the game that I played. Yeah. And I remember it just felt off. Sometimes knowledge of things uh, messes with your interpretation, I believe. I think if you had told me it was Rocksteady, I would have known, wouldn't have known a difference. Right. That was the Warner Brothers game that I was referencing, correct? Right. I okay. think it was um, like their, maybe their Montreal. Yeah, that sounds correct. Uh, studio. Okay. Who I think deserves another crack to do something else because you still have to, to do something, you know, even if you're using somebody else's technology. But for Arkham City in particular, you know, I was in college. I think I missed a day of classes to play it. That's the best way to go, man. You know, that's how important it was. You know, I'm notoriously slow beating video games. I, I like to take a break. I like to savor it. You know, as much as I like video games, I wouldn't say I'm particularly good at them. You know, I like to take my time and check out the story. But I just had this burning desire to beat the game. You know, we've talked about that. Uh, that's a really rare feeling for me in video games. You know, the play just a little bit and like okay I, i'm not gonna beat this game you know whether it was battling mr freeze uh or uh the penguin you know having an amazing finish to a story with the joker yeah it's just a great series and uh, you know I, I bought the remasters for ps4 i'll probably never play them but i like knowing the option that i can sure to go back so. and be able to try to experience them yeah no they seem like uh they were the pinnacle of the superhero games that are out especially at this time until you, like what you're saying, we had Spider-Man before, especially with the Activision Neversoft versions that were out, Spider-Man 1 and 2 that were on the original PlayStation. And it seemed like we never reached that that level of greatness until we reached the Arkham games that came out on the PS3, the Xbox 360 era. Now hopefully we can try to get it again with the Spider-Man game that's coming back up on PS4. And just to say, uh, you mentioned Neversoft and Activision. I missed that combination. Uh, you know, they made the Spider-Man games, they made the Tony Hawk games. You know, they, they, were, they were really... Um, a special set of teams. They also made the original, uh, or worked on the original Guitar Hero, too. Right. Which was amazing. Right. So uh, I miss their kind of um, more kind of kind of punk rock alternative uh, yeah. way to be able to yeah. do approach uh, games, which made them fun. Yeah, they were they were by no means indie. They had tons of money put into these games, but they weren't you know like this EA level. It felt like they had a whole lot more heart behind them. Yeah, there was a, a soul to what you were playing and. You, know, you felt like you were part of something. Because if you play a game that somebody cares about making, then you care yeah. about playing that game. Yeah, and um, yeah, there are some games I'm just completely against these days. You know, it's like I've turned on Destiny, even though I enjoyed playing Destiny 2. It's like, you know, fuck this. You know, of you know, paying 60 bucks for a game. But, oh, but you get the real game a year from now. It's like, no, it, it, it shouldn't be that way. You know, when we, you know, purchased, you know, Spider-Man or Spider-Man 2 or Tony Hawk or Guitar Hero. Uh, yeah, there are some extras in Guitar Hero, but there is a fundamental core game that you're getting for your money. And I think the industry is losing that now. Now, to counter that point, there was a Arkham 
City, Batman Arkham City, Game of the Year edition that came out uh, not too long after the original game came out. Right, but like <laughs> I said, those are DLC. you know DLC. But <laughs> you know, I still feel like if you didn't get the DLC, you still got the full. You game. got the full game, absolutely. You know, with, with a lot of stuff, now you don't really get the full game. Right, we've discussed that with our our previous episodes, saying that we didn't feel like games were released in a full current state. Right, they need to be. And I'd, I'd say that uh, Octopath Traveler was going to be a game that was released in its in its full potential and mm-hmm. that that shows that shows and people are seeing that and uh it used to be when you when the developer put out a game you could just pop it in and play it that's no such thing these days you know there's always an update or um some type of bug fix or something like that but listeners we digress uh because we we're here just to talk about, about batman about so, batman yeah uh, but we've uh, we've been talked about it here for for a little while so uh, but I think we we touched all the bases that we wanted to. But we we figured that we go ahead and give uh, give them a shout out here. So we'd uh, kind of brought it up previously, uh, just between us, and that'd be kind of an interesting topic to be able to talk about. And well, uh, just a quick way to wrap up: uh, Who are three people you'd want to see? want to see play Batman? Uh, I've already said uh, John Hamm. Well, we let's come up with three together. Three so, together. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, gonna be interesting. Okay. I have John Hamm. Yeah. Uh, Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin. I, I, I agree with Josh Brolin, so that's two. Josh Brolin. And the third one, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal wants the role. I don't want Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't want that. Jake Gyllenhaal for it. No. So I always struggle with that third one. So who's the third guy? Chris Evans. No, is he still just forever he, Captain America? We can't. He's a, he's position? he's out. He's already played two, two different superheroes. I don't know. Because there are no big action film stars anymore. It's kind of hard to say. Let's see. We got to figure out one more person. I could see Miles Teller. Miles Teller. If you're going with a young Batman. Yeah, I think I think that that's really a new angle that's never been used before. We've never seen a young Batman. Okay, I think the third one could be Miles Teller. I think he's a, a really good young actor. Yeah. Uh, you know, he has a certain amount of bravado. Like, he's not he's not too handsome, but, you know, the women would be in. You got to have women and men that want to see Batman. So, but the overall pick is John Hamm. John, uh, absolutely. Hands he's down. the guy. Hands down. He's, he's the guy that I think the All right. For things for checking out this episode, we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you.